Hello and welcome to another episode of the NMA podcast, Planning People. I am your host for the day, Jack Gilbert, Chief Reporter at NMA, and I'm delighted to be joined by Ben Hammond, Ben Hammond, Principal Consultant of Altus. Hi there, Jack. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm very well. Good. How are you? You're not bad, thank you. Not bad. Excellent. Now, Ben is an expert in two things, cricket and also investment platforms. And we're going to be mainly talking about the latter today, although any cricketing platform references would, of course, be much appreciated. Absolutely. Don't talk about Australia. <laughs> yeah. So we're also fresh from the England defeat to Australia yesterday. So that, that won't hopefully be mentioned very much. Um, now, to kick us off, Ben, I think uh, it'd be good to talk a little bit about the FCA's platform market study. Hmm. We've had, well, two, three papers from the FCA and, final consult- and, a, and a, the final paper came out earlier this year and a consultation for that um, closed last week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just wondering, looking back at the, the platform market study as a whole, what are the kind of main things that have come out of this that's going to have the biggest effect on platforms mm. out there? Um, I think, yeah, I think the, the, the competition area is is one that's come out as an o- overarching theme. Um, but in particular, it's I think it's the thing that a lot of people are talking about in exit fees. Um, so I think there's a, there's a big debate there about whether they should be can completely mm-hmm. um, or, or at least looked at. So they're definitely looking at them. That's obviously part of the consultation paper responses, what they were looking for there. Um, it's it's an interesting one. Um, my view is probably that they should be banned. Um, but you've also got to think about it um, carefully and not just, you know, come, come down with a hammer, I suppose. So um, a lot of people, a lot of platforms will um, not have not have them at all. But mm-hmm. Others will sort of think well actually there is some administration there for us there's a cost to us so should we not be charging the client and that'll be the argument for some of the big players who who generally talk about that um but ultimately i think the fca will will try and look look for a ban and um, they just need to be um just a bit careful just talk to the right people about how to actually go about that yeah i mean i think the, the general term was that they were they really wanted to ban exit fees they yeah absolutely detriment to consumers and a detriment to switching platforms yeah uh, but do you yeah. think they might get quite a lot of pushback from certain um platforms? I, I think i think they will yeah so what i was saying so i think a lot of people think oh it's it's part of our business model but then the argument is well you should allow for that, you know, in your overall platform charge that you're making. So if you're already charging a platform fee um, uh, through the advisor, but ultimately to the end client, then anything to do with the administration should be covered in in that platform fee. Mm. Um, I don't, don't think it's fair to have, you know, a, a separate charge, no matter how transparent they are about saying, you know, it's per line of stock or, um, you know, for closing an account or something like that. Um, you know, if you look at other industries or, or banking, that's something like that, you know, you're not you're not going to be charged for closing your account. You might lose some benefits and you lose the benefit of using the platform, but I don't think you should be charged for actually, um, you know, in cashing or moving your assets elsewhere. Yeah. And I suppose what the platforms, a few of them did was says, you know, although we might have exit fees, um, what about all the life companies or the old legacy products that are charging exit fees? Yeah, these, that's, these guys? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting one. Um, so if you think about, yeah, some of the... Without mentioning any so, names. Well, yeah, so think about some of the life companies. So... So you're right, but th- those products are, stru- are, compl- are structured completely differently. I mean, a lot of them are were built in in an old world, in a pre-RDR world, or at least along those lines. Um, you know, paying heavy commissions, etc. So um, it's just part part of the business model. So without going into the mis-selling debate, um, if the product is is very clear about, you know, it is we we pay this much up front or you get a 5% charge or whatever it might be, if you leave within X years, you will be charged a, a fee on a reducing basis, then 
then that's that that that's maybe a slight a slightly different thing because it's a standalone product. If that product's then on a platform where you're also playing the platform fee, um, that, then again it goes back to the to the other piece I was saying about you know it feels unfair that you should then be charged a separate exit fee. Mm, yeah. So you think that there's kind of a way for the FCA to go here before it kind of finally makes their mind up about what it wants to do? Yeah. So I think I think they want to make their mind up quite quickly um but <clears throat> obviously with all these things going out to consultation and just you know getting people's views um is an important part of the process it's something that they're that they have to do under their mandate um you know they can't just come down and say this is what we're going to do it's it's all about talking to the people in the industry um seeing where some of the some of the issues lie um, and then making a decision from there mm. uh, and then it's about the time scales as well so you know so like with um, you know, RDR or RDR2 and P PS13, etc. about, you know, the, the um, banning of previous fees when you disturb assets, etc. It could well go down those lines where there is some kind of sunset clause. So I think they'll give them some time, the platform some time um, to, to put these uh, the changes in place. Interesting. And I, I guess another thing that the FCA kind of did look at with the platform market study, particularly the interim paper, was the questions around who's benefiting the platform, mm -hmm. the, yeah. the, the, the client or the, the end client or the advisor. <coughs> the the platform the FCA kind of raised questions about certain tools which mm -hmm. platforms are offering yeah. advisors you know cash flow modeling tools risk profiling tools um, uh, you know modern portfolio tools uh, and, and kind of said we're we're not sure if these are really for the benefit of the mm. client or they're just really benefiting benefiting the advisor here I think the FCA didn't really come down in a concrete position about whether or not uh, you know platforms are really there for advisors or, or for the end client I just wondered what your thoughts are on this Ben do you think do you think who's 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 really the benefactors of platforms? I mean, I guess I guess the ultimate end client is all sorry. The ultimate end person is always going to, is always going to be the client. It should be the beneficiary. So the client should be the beneficiary of the platform, basically. Um, so I think that a lot of platforms are you know if you look at a pure retail platform, so if they don't have any kind of direct offering um, on top of that, or they they might provide access to the customer, but ultimately it's the advisor using the platform on the customer's behalf. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's an argument there that they are providing the service to the advisor, but the advisor is serving the end client, the end investment client. So if the end investment client is not going to benefit through the use of a of a platform, then the advisor shouldn't be shouldn't be using one. Um, so it all comes back to the you know the due diligence: <clears throat> how many platforms do you have? How do you segment your book? Um, even you know prod rules and all, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but I think it is yeah, it's it's definitely down to the advisor to to be very clear on how they. How they work out which platforms to use, how, how they know exactly who their end clients are, um, but ultimately, yeah, they should always think about the end client and is that client benefiting through use of this platform. When it comes to some of the tools, um, ultimately, if the platform can supply a tool that is isn't going to cause a conflict of interest for the advisor, is going to sway the then, way they're going. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So if it's something quite simple, like I say, it's quite simple, but uh, if it's something that's maybe integral to what a customer is going to benefit like from, cash, like a uh, capital gains ca tax. Cut yeah, there. so CGT will be a CGT tool will be a, a good example of that. Um, it is about you know being able to suck in the data from a platform or various platforms, whatever it might be, and mm -hmm. give a report to the client to help them with their tax return, for example. That's that's of benefit to the customer. If it's something like cash flow, cash flow modeling, um, then the advisor might like to use uh, an independent tool themselves or something plugged Which into their- Which they'll pay for as well. They will pay for, but again, if it's benefiting the end client, then they, they, they should be able to show that through their due diligence. And if they're charging the client a fee, you know, for the initial advice or the ongoing advice, then it would be wrapped up in that, in that fee. So I think, the, I mean, the, some of this is down to the client sort of think, you know, what do I see as value for money? Cheapest isn't always best. If I'm paying a little bit more, what extra service am I getting? 
Do I get to see, um, you know, have a direct offering? Can I do simple top-ups myself? Um, am I getting certain reports to help me do my tax return? Am I benefiting from um, you know, intergenerational wealth um, and that sort of thing? That's that's quite a big thing at the moment. So I'm actually, you know, it's becoming more of a family wealth type proposition. Um, if the platform can provide that and the products to help me do that with junior ISAs, SIPs, etc., um, then I think that's a that's another thing that that the customer would see value from. And therefore, if the advisor is looking after that type of customer, they should look to the platforms who can provide that sort of service. Mm. Yeah, interesting. And in terms of um, the response from advisors, I suppose uh, kind of a, uh, an interesting moment last year came with AFH, mm-hmm. the consolidator announcing that it was going to start absorbing platform fees yes, for yeah. certain parts of its client book. Um, and I think that was kind of in response to them saying, you know, it's the, it's the advisor who's really benefit, benefit, benefactor of, of platforms, not the end client. Um, just wondering if you think this trend will, will be borne out amongst other advice firms in the market or if this it's, is more of a one-off? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably see it as a one-off at least for the time being um, because if, the, if there's going to be no platform fee, um, you know, the, the costs are still there for running the technology, running the company, the o- overheads of risk and compliance and whatever else it might be and, and regulatory development. So, um, you know, it's going to be paid for somewhere. Now, whether that's effectively it comes out of the overall advisor charge and that gets raised or there's a subsidy happening somewhere i think it's you've got to be very careful about again things like conflict of interest uh, in terms of that but if the customer is is getting a better deal at one end it is about looking at to- sort of total cost of ownership or, or total total cost of investing um the chances are if one if something goes down there you can't eliminate that cost it's it's going to be built up elsewhere um I don't think that many people are going to go going to go down that road. Um, at least not not in the short term. Um, I think some of this then leads back to um, efficiencies of platforms and actually some of the new technologies that we're seeing in there. Um, so if you think about some of the, the larger technology suppliers um, and how they are providing, um, you know, one big service, they might do 80% of what a platform needs to do in terms of the technology. Yeah, normally Australian technology. Normally, yeah, less said about the Australians, the better, <laughs> but yeah. Um, um, then that that's going to be naturally expensive. They tend, they tend to be... Um, architecturally a, a little bit older whereas if you start to look at componentization and and some of the the services that you can see around the side and that might be cash flow modeling cgt tools mifid 2 reporting that sort of thing like we just talked about um sometimes that's that's the better way to go you can chop up what you're trying to do uh, and effectively um you know get a, get that for a cheaper cost overall mm. uh, in, in terms of that yeah and I suppose we've also seen some new platforms come along. I think like sort of um, Seckle and Hubwise, yep. mm-hmm. kind of offering white labelled platform services for for some advice firms. Yeah, there. yeah. I think they've uh, certainly with someone like Seckle, they've got I can say advantage, but you know they they've started with a blank sheet of paper, um, you know, two or two or three years ago. So they know exactly what a, what well, in their minds what a platform should look like. Um, talking to advisor communities, you know exactly what does a does an advisor. Um, value from a platform and it might not be all the bells and whistles and the tools because the advisor knows they can buy them um, separately um, or um, through their back office software through their practice management software Um, what they want is a platform that does what it says does things quickly and efficiently doesn't go wrong Um, you know they've just got to have a a few clicks of a mouse and you know their their clients are invested how they want to be they can run their model portfolios or talk to discretionary fund managers through the through the platform just making that overall investing experience as simple as possible um, I think is the main thing that a uh, that an advisor would want from a platform yeah and I suppose it possibly would bring down costs as well kind of looking at more the GPM of the scale rather than the going with the big Australian tech providers yeah um, 
I mean, I think, again, it depends depends what your offering is. So if you're one of the larger platforms um, who is, you know, the, the dreaded re-platform word, but is 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 migrating to one of those um, larger um, larger technology companies, um, that might be the only way that you could provide to your customers, to your advisors, what, what you're trying to do. So a vast wealth of products, um, you know, large amounts of scale, um, you know, Acorn with 100, 100 billion plus now, um, could you run that size of business on on a componentized system? I think that that's to be proven. But if you are an advisor looking to maybe run a, a white label platform or a smaller national advice firm looking to provide a platform for the advisors or a platform just starting life, then I think you would look to the the simpler outsourced platform or white label platform to, to get yourselves going. And someone like Hubwise or Seckle, and there's one or two others out there, um, enables you to get to market quite quickly, relatively cheaply, um, and then you can build from there. So you can start bolting things on uh, mm. around the sides if you need to, as you scale up, as your proposition changes. Mm. And I suppose the advice firm has more control of what the <coughs> platform is and what, what it's doing rather than just being, you know, something they, they're buying from, you know, Standard Life or Old Mutual or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So they can they can design it how, how they want to how they want to design it with the product range that they that they want to have. Um Again, I think for for any firm, whether it's an advice firm or, or, or you know an investment manager alike, because some of those do provide as well, um, it's about just being clear on exactly you know what you're trying to offer your customers. Um, so who are your customers? Who, what are you trying to offer them? And the customer could be the advisor in this case, um, and then and then go and find someone who can actually provide that for you. So again, it might be looking to one of the new suppliers who can get you to market quickly simple product set uh, ability to do certain things it might be a limited asset range and then you can and then you can work it up from there as your business model changes over time mm. interesting Ben and, and maybe just looking at the platform tech side because obviously this has been a you know, huge issue for advisors in the last 18 months or so particularly uh, 2018 was the year when you know, platform technology really kind of rose to the fore mm-hmm. as, as, as front and center of <coughs> issues and risks for advisors out there um, but obviously looking at the platform technology market um, I'm sure that you know, going back to the, the dreaded Australian word here, but they, there are a lot of Australian firms who are. who are running these yeah. technology, uh, these these software, um, the software for the platforms, uh, and a lot of the software is quite old, isn't it? In terms of when it was started around two thousands, it's been around for a long time. Do you, I mean, do you think we, we're going to see the end of replatforming, or do you think we'll see more kind of because of the la- the nature of this old technology that there might be more replatforming in the year, in months and years to come? Um, Another good question. Um, so, some would argue that there's, you know, there's almost not not much of that left left to go. So, if you look at all the platforms who, who are out there, who's left on proprietary or, or elderly technology, rather than going to um, a, a GBST or a Bravura or mm. an FNZ, what you know, SEI, whatever it might be, um, and a lot of them are, you know, in the middle in the middle of doing that. If it comes to like five five ten years time, what 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 will be what will be around then? Um, I think for those big technology companies, they they are, they are already starting to change how they work. Um, so um, there's um, so FNZ, for example, you know you don't have to take absolutely everything, but you can bolt on various components. But it is still seen in that example as one of the one of the larger technology companies. Um, GBST are doing a lot of work to actually upgrade sort of particular particular parts of their system or, or how they do integrations. Um, so I think that's that's very important. It is about the integrations. So um, that's where a lot of them could look if, if they're not already. And that goes back to what we 
talking about a few moments ago about the componentization piece. So if you are going to start bolting on various tools and services, and um, because that's what your advisors and your customers want, then having a core platform that can easily talk to the outside world um, and exchange data in, in, in the right sort of way is is, is going to be absolutely important. Um, and people, going back to what we were saying about Seckle and Hubwise, I think that's, that's almost where they've started. They've gone, okay, this is what we can provide. Um, we know we're going to need to integrate with other systems as as things progress over the next, you know, however long it might be over the next few decades. Uh, this is what our customers are going to want. This is what our advisors are going to want. So we need to build a system that is capable of capable of doing that. So I think that people who think about it in that way and aren't just don't just stick to their guns and go, OK, people are going to come to us for something that was important 10 years ago. People who can change with the times um, are going to be the ones who succeed. Mm. So it's kind of more <coughs> uh, being uh, agnostic to technology <coughs> platforms that are kind of can work with other platforms, work with other pieces of technology, rather than just plugging in their whole complete software. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I guess in certain, so we talked about exit fees a moment, a moment ago. So if you think about someone wanting to move platforms, for example, or you know do a transfer, that's also part of the platforms market study. Um, being able to do that quickly and easily. Um, that's not that's not always been easy. It's it's a lot better now. There's a lot of inch species transfer, and and it can you know it's down to days rather than weeks or months. How how it how it can be mm -hmm. sometimes, um, but again that is all about um, platforms or, or or fund managers or whatever it might be being able to talk to each other in in an easy way. So being able to exchange that data, and again without the technology you can't automate any of that. You can't make it cost efficient. If you can do more and more of that, then there's even less argument to be able to, you know, charge an exit fee because of the administration of filling in bits of paper and stock transfer forms, again, like it used to be in the old days. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it is for the platforms to look at how they integrate with the outside world, look at the ecosystem around them, realise that's important and, and, and change with the times. Mm, interesting, then. And then maybe kind of moving off um, that subject a little bit, um, I think it wouldn't be a, a podcast um, at the moment without mentioning the, the W words, uh, Woodford. Uh, not wickets, then. Not wickets, no. Not wickets, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, not, not English, not English <laughs> wickets. Uh, but obviously the Woodford um, uh, debacle has mm. uh, brought to light some questions about platforms on the GTC side, okay, yeah. particularly for Hargreaves Lansdowne um, <coughs> over in Bristol. Um, it, I guess it's kind of brought to this fall this question about best buy lists okay, and, yeah. and the funds which are placed on on these best buy lists and how much um, kind of scrutiny there is of mm. platforms having best buy lists and how much influence they're having. Um, I guess it's a little bit, um, <laughs> the, the timing isn't brilliant for the FCA given they've just released this big platform market study paper which didn't really go into exit fee, uh, best buy lists but now there's kind of question marks about how the FCA are looking at best mm. buy lists. What do you think we might see from the FCA? Do you think we might see any action in this area or would you think they'll probably leave it as it is for the, the time being? Um, I mean, there's a lot of separate to the platforms market study. Also, they are looking at quite a few things. I mean, you know, Woodford and Hargreaves and, and one or two others in particular right now. Um, I think overall for the platform industry, I think, yeah, I, I think they will almost certainly bring it in, bring it in even even as part of their, you know, another consultation paper, maybe as part of their, um, um, you know, policy statement that comes out of the platforms market study. It is, it is an interesting one. Um, I think when you're looking at it, or they are looking at, um, you know, the ability for platforms to serve customers and give them good choice and there's, um, you know, competitive industry, um, they'll look at it in the round there. So if you think about a direct customer and they go onto a platform and they're faced with three or 4,000 funds and they're just to invest, trying to invest £10,000 in an ISA this year and they, and they don't want to pay for advice or they can't afford the advice, then 
I think the argument is that the, the platform should do something. It then about how you actually go down there, uh, got, or go down that route. Um, I think the issue that maybe they've had with with the people like Hargreaves is then how often those Best Buy lists, etc., are are being updated. Um, how that that choice is actually made. So if you put something on a top fifty or top hundred or whatever it might be, or some platforms you only have three, four, five funds um, and effectively say, you know, or, or try and risk rate them in, in some way and then expect the consumer to choose. Um, that's that's where it becomes very difficult and you've got to be very careful not to start verging or go, going in, going into advice. Um, so I think it is, it's, it's a difficult subject, um, but, but they're also trying to help um, the end investor <clears throat> who maybe without some of that help just isn't going to know what to invest in. We'll just leave it in cash. Uh, and then actually isn't going to even, you know, beat inflation in, in most cases. Mm. Um, and then you get into the whole debate of, you know, under in, under invested and not saving for the future and, and their retirement and that sort of thing. So I think it's up to the industry, including the FCA platforms, fund managers, whoever it might be, to try and encourage people to save more. Best Buy list is, is one way of doing that. But then it comes down to how you actually um, develop those Best Buy lists, review them, and again, follow the rules that the, um, or the guidance, I should say, that the FCA is, uh, is putting in place. Interesting, Ben. Um, I think that kind of brings us nicely to a close. So Ben, thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. And thank you all for listening.